The text for this morning's message will be found in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to be revisiting the burning bush, but going a little farther than we did last week. Some wonderful things the Lord has for us this morning, some things He's laid on my heart, things I'm very excited about as we begin to lay out the vision that we have for 2020 and a direction for the church, direction for our own personal hearts, and we'll find a beginning here in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read down through verse 17, verse 1 through verse 17. Exodus chapter 3. The Bible says in verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, When I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say to the Children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of the children, uh, go gather the elders of Israel together, and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Just bow our heads in prayer. Father, I ask you that as we come to your word this morning and as we 
come to the great things that is contained in this passage of Scripture, that You would open our eyes and open our hearts to who You are, Lord. Show us Your glory. Help us to see it with our eyes and with our hearts that in a way maybe we haven't seen before. That You would help us to be captivated by who You are and and all that You have done, that You are the great I Am, Lord, and how that You have manifest Yourself to us and also shown Your love to us. I ask that You would do the work that only You can do, that You would open eyes and break down walls and maybe change lives that, in, in a way that only You can by Your Word and by Your Spirit. Help us to be just a people that are... are Captivated by You, Lord. Let that start this morning as we we face this new year. I ask for Your grace and for Your strength. And I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here we are again at that time of year. It's a time where we cast a vision for this coming year. Uh, a direction, a, a theme that will run through much of what we do, both in the messages and preferably in our actions. That as we consider this and we consider uh, maybe the ways that the Lord would leave us, it, that would lead us, it will be lived out in action. I've already talked to, in length about why it's good for a church to have a vision, why it's good for us to have some sort of goal. You have those goals in your life, Right? And if you don't have any kind of goals, you kind of just wander around. Well, it's the same with the church. If we don't have a specific vision or a specific kind of thought that will guide us, we'll find ourselves maybe wandering around a bit more than we should. I've already spoken about last year's vision. We're looking forward to this year. What does God have for us this year? I prayed for this for many weeks, for many months actually. Um, that the Lord would give us some kind of a direction. What, what, what does He want for us? What is it going to be uh, that He wants us to do or, or focus on for the year 2020? Something that will strike a chord within our hearts and light a fire within our souls. I believe He's done that. I'm excited about that. I'm anticipating great things this year. In my mind, I'm reaching forward in faith to what God will do through us. Now before we take that first step, you must keep in mind the three principles we talked about last week. You have to keep those in mind. Those three things to seek in the coming year. If you haven't listened to it, I don't have time to to lay those out again. I would suggest you go listen to the message on the website. Without those principles in our heart, it's not going to take hold. It's just going to be some fancy words, but if it doesn't take hold in our heart... um, then the vision never gets put to practice. So, the vision that uh, I have for Faith Baptist this year, the statement that kind of sums it all up, to put it simply, is this. Two words. Real Christianity. Real Christianity. The, The vision, the goal, the guiding mindset for 2020 is real Christianity. And that's going to take some explaining because it might sound a little off at first. What are you talking about real Christianity? That's kind of weird. Like, is there a fake Christianity? First of all, yes, very much, absolutely. You're surrounded by it just about everywhere. 
And second, I, I ask that you just give me a couple weeks to lay it out, and I think it's going to begin to make perfect sense to us. We're going to spend the next couple weeks here in Exodus as we pull out principles that I, I want you to see. Powerful, evident, relevant principles that guide us in our walk with God and will guide us in this coming year. And after we spend those next couple weeks, we're going to return back to Romans for the remainder of the year because we've got some big, huge sections coming. We've got the whole practical section of Romans where he starts in chapter 12 and begins to tell us how to live it out. We've got, to some, the scary part of Romans 9, 10, and 11, which I think is a wonderful part that we're going to spend a lot of time going head-to-head with some Wrong views of salvation, wrong views of predestination that are out there today that we need to to know and we need to be on top of. But before we do that, I want to, to lay out the vision that we have. Let me give a couple definitions to real Christianity. The dictionary defines the word real as this. Actually existing as a thing, occurring in fact, not imagined or supposed. Actually existing, something that is occurring, something that is not imagined or supposed. It goes on to say it's not imitation or artificial, it is genuine. The dictionary also defines Christianity as this, a religion based on the belief in one God and on the teachings of Jesus Christ as set forth in the Bible. Pretty basic, but true. A belief in one God, the teachings of Christ, and the Bible. It also gives this definition, the day-to-day practice of the Christian faith. To put it very simply, everything that we do, all that we believe, all that we hold to, is 100% real. It is genuine. It is not manufactured. It is not made up. It is reality. God is real. Jesus is real. All of the teaching of the Bible is real, 100% so. You may say, well, yeah, I believe that. Why else am I here? Well, that's good. But far too often the problem is it's a head knowledge and not a heart knowledge. Right? We know it's real, but do we... Live it. See, there are many who say they believe. Many who say they believe in God and Christ and the teachings of the Bible. Yet their practice, their day-to-day life, would hardly show that He exists at all. You could never tell. Except if you saw Him in church on a Sunday. You see, at some point, this reality of what we believe, it needs to hit home. It needs to hit home in our heart. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Eternity and my place in it is real. This church stuff, this living faithful that we always talk about, all that is real and it matters. And when it hits home and it takes hold of your heart, you begin to live it out. In fact, you can't help but do anything other than that. The things we're going to look at, the things we're going to spend time with the next couple weeks, they must awaken a strong conviction within us. 
that we truly and deeply believe these things and we live these things out. A strong conviction about the right things, because let me tell you, there are people who are strongly convicted about some wrong things. And we are to be a people who is captivated by God, not just merely interested in Him when it suits us. Like a first aid kit, or a genie in a bottle, or an ATM machine. No, we are to be captivated with who He is and who we serve. And so we're going to focus on some important principles that need to take root in our hearts. And those things, I promise you, will set you on fire. It will set this church on fire if we let the Spirit take it deep within us. So what is the first step I want to take this morning? The first principle I want to set before you, that is God is real. God is real. That's the focus of this morning's message. Again, you're probably saying, duh, pastor, why else am I here? I believe that. Of course I believe He's real or I wouldn't pray or I wouldn't do some of the things I I do. Okay, well, just hang with me now. Remember what the definition of real was? Actually existing, not imagined, not imitation, not not artificial. You believe that, do you live as though that He is real? Not some obligatory throw a peace sign up when things are good or when you get money or when you're healthy. Every day, do you live as though He is real? We're going to pull some things from a conversation here in our text. Moses is here in Exodus 3 at the presence of God at the burning bush. And this is going to set off the amazing events we know as the Exodus. The first point I want you to notice this morning is this. God is. God is. That's the first thing. If we're going to say that He's going to be everything to us and He's going to be the wonder of our life and the rock-solid foundation for everything that we do, we have to start with who He is. And the most basic thing that I could say about God, and at the same time the most profound and deep thing that I could say about God is this. God is. God is. Now listen... Here, we need to dive deep. You ever been to SeaWorld and see those, those shows they have? And the guys on the jet skis? How they, they're going on top of the water, then they dive under the water, and they come, they come up out of the water, and they do a flip or whatever. We kind of got to do that a couple times this morning. We got we to dive down deep. Get into some doctrinal things. And then we come up and crest up out of the water, if you would, to see what it means for us. What is all this deep doctrinal foundational stuff? How does that impact my life? Because it does. There's no dead doctrine in the Bible. There's no irrelevant teaching in the Bible. It all means something for us. So how does this fact that God is, what does that mean for us? I want you to notice in the text, verse 13. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and I shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, 
And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. This, this passage. You remember last week I said I was struggling with a point? wasn't quite ready to bring it. It's, it's right here. <laughs> this passage is almost, it's hard for a preacher to preach. I've literally, I've been wrestling with this for weeks. Literally, I've been walking around work, probably looking like I've, I've lost my mind, saying one thing, I am, I am, I am. I've been walking, what does that mean? What does it mean when he says that, I am? What does that mean for us? Why would he name himself that, I am? <laughs> it's not that I don't believe it. I do, I'm captivated by it. But how on earth do I as a pastor explain it in a few short statements? How do I try to take the incomparable character of God and bring it down to just a few short statements? How do I say it simply so that we can understand it? Well, thankfully God already did when He said what He said right here. Moses is asking a valid question. He's saying, listen, I'm going to go to these people and they're going to ask me, who sent you? What am I going to say that your name is? And in his response, God gives his name. Now listen, we call him God, right? Technically, that's not his name. That's a descriptor of him. In Hebrew, when you see the word God, it's the word Elohim. It means the mighty one. His personal name is found in the phrase, I am. In the Hebrew, it is Yahweh. You've heard this before. From the two Hebrew words, ha and yah, which means to be, I am. And here he gives us his name. God's name, the name of the Father is Yahweh. And it's kind of hard to bring over from Hebrew. It's translated in different ways in different translations. I am that I am. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. Different versions say the same, uh, different things. But regardless, it is the word Yahweh. And you see this all over your Bible. Look in the beginning of verse uh, 15. Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, The Lord, you see that there? How it's all in capital letters? Every time you see that word LORD in all capital letters, it is directly referencing this, Yahweh, God's personal name. Now it's translated different out of reverence. Did you know that? To the Jewish people, to say the name is, is a very reverent thing. In fact, they don't say Yahweh, they say the name. And so when they wrote that in the Hebrew Scriptures, out of reverence they took Yahweh and Adonai and combined them to come up with the word Jehovah. Yehovah. More than 4,500 times it is used in our Bibles. 
Lord. Only here is it stated in its pure form, Yahweh, I am that I am. That sounds awesome, just reading it, doesn't it? What's your name? I am. I am that I am. You tell them the I am hath sent you. (laughs) It sounds awesome, but what does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? What does it mean to me that God is the great I am? See, names are meant to convey something, right? We named our son Matthew. At that time, there was another sister in the church who was pregnant. About the same time Cynthia got pregnant, and we were going for our ultrasound to hear the heartbeat at the same time. The other sister's child passed. It wasn't a heartbeat. It was a miscarriage. At the same, I remember walking into that, that, that hospital room. I don't care if it's a girl or a boy. I want to just hear a heartbeat. I don't, I don't even care. You, you say sometimes, oh, I, I, want a, I want a boy or I want a son. Or I, want a I don't care. I don't, whatever God wants to give. I just want, just want to hear that heartbeat. Matthew's name means gift from God. We settled on that name because we remember that feeling and just being so happy that God had blessed us to, to have a child. Names convey some. I, I still think of that. Even, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Even when he's not being the best, he's still a gift from God. A precious gift from God that he's given us. And I think of that when I say his name, right? There's something that the name of God is meant to convey to us. Something that should ring in our heads when we hear it. Every time that we hear it, every time that we read it, we should realize He is the one who is. He is the I am. Now here He says it twice too. If you look in verse 14, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Why did He say it twice? It'd be something similar to me saying, Hi, I'm the pastor and I'm Ryan. There's a similar idea going on. God is expressing Himself perfectly. I'm the I am. I am Yahweh. I am the one who is. God is. He is the one who is. He exists. Period. He exists eternally as God Almighty. This is absolutely essential doctrine. God never had a beginning. Forever and ever and ever in the beginning, before time ever was, God is. And forever and ever to the distant future, God is. He always has been. He has no cause. He has no creator. God is. He always has been and always will be. Before we ever came on the scene, before time ever was, God is. And everything that is came from or comes from Him. You understand that? Everything comes from Him because He is. He rules as supreme because He is the I Am. Nothing holds power or sway over Him. No theory of man changes anything. You realize how absurd that is? We can listen to people squawking on the TV and political... um, positions and we think, oh, this is going to be bad. Think about it. God stands outside of time. All of time is laid out before Him. And He's going to worry about some little speck within that 
saying something against him? I don't think so. God is. No religious system, no political power, nothing holds sway over him because he is. And this is essential doctrine. This is essential to believe. Hebrews 11 says this, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You see, because God has always existed, because God is, He is worthy of all all praise, all worship, all glory is due to Him, all obedience to Him is right and just, because He is. Listen, we could spend hours exploring the depths of that statement that God is. He is the great I Am. But I want to come to the surface. What does that mean for me that God is? That I worship the high and lifted up One who is above all else. What does that mean? I want you to think of how this would ring with Moses and Israel. What... What would it be like to hear that as they're standing in in their positions? I am Moses. Right in the middle of your self-doubt, when you used to be a prince of Egypt, and now you find yourself out here on the backside of the desert, and you're wondering how things got this way. How did everything get so screwed up? I am Moses. In fact, go tell Israel the same thing. Go tell my people the same thing. They're in the midst of an impossible, impossible situation that seems unfixable. We're enslaved. We've got no hope of release. And we're, we're surrounded by fake gods and pagan people. And they control everything. No, 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 no. I am. In the midst of all that, I am. And I have not forgotten. I've not left my throne. I've seen and I have heard, and I will deliver because I am. I never stop being who I am. And I will never cease to be who I am. You see how that could impact now? You see how that could begin to impact our own lives? God is. In the midst of any situation we find ourselves, God is. And he hasn't changed. Look, look at verse 15. God said moreover to Moses, Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, The Lord, Yahweh, God, Elohim, the Mighty One, the Great I Am, of your fathers. The Great I Am, the Great and Mighty God of your fathers. Yes, the One of Jacob, of Isaac, excuse me, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He sent me to you. (laughs) Yeah, guys, I'm still here. I'm still here. Yeah, I did some great and awesome things through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you may be wondering what happened. I haven't left. I am. 
He is still the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord God of David, of Peter, of James, and John, and Paul, of our faithful Baptist brothers and sisters who down through the ages held to the faith and spread the gospel, the great Lord God of our great-grandfathers, our grandfathers, and our fathers. He still is. He hasn't stopped working. He hasn't stopped being God. He hasn't diminished. He is still able to work in mighty ways. And you know what? It might be our turn to step up to the opportunity to let the great I Am be used through us. I look back to people in our work who have done some great and mighty things. We have a tendency to think, oh, that was the golden days. That's when everything was good. As if God had some more power back then or something like that. Listen, no. He is the great I Am. The God of our fathers who is still able to work in and through us. Perhaps the difference is our forefathers were captivated by Him. They were in awe of Him. Not things. Know who it is that you serve. Know who it is your Father. But yet we don't. Sometimes we waste away our lives with things that will burn. We serve the great I Am. Now let's go a little further. You've got to dive back down a little bit. We have an advantage this morning. You see, we stand on the side of completed Scripture. You want to see something in the Bible? You can pick this up and look it up. You probably have several copies of it. That's a blessing to have this, to have it completed and to see the whole story laid out before us. We can see the Old Testament fulfilled here in the New and the New Testament alluded to in the Old Testament. We can see it all. We stand on the other side of that and we can see some things a little bit more clearly. Track with me now. We need to dive back down. Isaiah tells us in chapter 6, That the Lord God is holy, almighty, and the whole earth is full of His glory. That's a familiar passage to you, right? When he sees heaven open and the angels are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. God's glory is the evidence. It's the essence of who He is. You can see His glory in nature, right? You can see that God is good and mighty and awesome when you look in nature. You can see it when you look at the stars. The heavens declare His glory, Psalm 19 says. You could see it in us, humanity, the, the way that we're created and all of the systems in our body. And It's a wonderful thing that shows God's glory. Evidence of who He is. Evidence of His character. It's His glory. Well, you can see God's glory in some great things, but nowhere greater than Christ, right? We learned that last week in Sunday school. Christ is the radiance of glory. The brightest um, representation of God. The outshining of glory. He is the absolutely visible representation of God. He is the proof of the I Am. In fact, He is the I Am. He says it so 
explicitly in John chapter 8. He's talking to Jewish people and he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews to him, You're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. That's not a misprint. That's a claim by Jesus to be God. Before Abraham was, I am. But he also goes on to add some descriptors to us that should bring us wonder and peace. How has God fully revealed Himself to us? Fully and finally, so that we may understand Him. Of course, that's in Christ, but it's not just by Christ being here. It's by Jesus being the one that we need. Jesus says this, I'm the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything that we could possibly need. Everything that we need we find in Christ who has fully and finally revealed God to us. All of that is wrapped up in His name. When you read the word Lord, when you hear the word I am, it's all that God is and all that He has given to us. He is the great I am who loves us, who has come to us, who gives us everything that we need, who is worthy of all worship. I hope that you see that. I hope that captivates you how awesome and great our God is. Solomon says this in Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth to it and is safe. Every time we hear His name, it tells us of His character. He is the great I Am. That's the first thing I want you to notice this morning, that God is. The second thing I want you to notice is really short but vital principle. We aren't. God is. We aren't. Look in verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? Now there is a realization we need to come to. Who am I? See, we got a, we got a problem sometimes. We got quite a high and lofty view of ourselves. To the point we begin to dictate to God what we will or will not do. I know what this says. I'm not going to do that. We'll dictate to God what we will or not do. What we will or will not accept is truth. And how we think He should act. We would dare stand in the face of the great I Am and say, I Am. I'm the master of my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you, God, you need to accept it. You get, you get whatever I give. Be happy with it. After all, I've got a lot going on. So you should be content with the place that I give you. It's my thoughts, my feelings, my family, my time, my money, my future. 
So you just chill out and do what I want you to do. I'll work you in when I can. In fact, don't get on me when I don't. And this is the way I want you to bless me. This is what I want you to bring in my life. And this is what I want you to keep out. And if you do anything different to that, I'm going to question you and your goodness. And if you exist at all. Bad idea. Bad idea. Let me just quote Paul in Romans 9. Who are you, O man, that replies against God? Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am when I have that kind of an attitude? To say that in the face of the great I am, to put other things in front of him, you know every, he has every right to snuff me out like a candle? He says this of himself in Isaiah 45, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it, He hath established it, He hath created it not in vain, He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I love verses like that. When God is just totally being God. I'm God. There's nobody else. And if I find that rebellious thinking, if you find that rebellious and stubborn thinking within you, we need to repent. Moses had a very unique relationship with God like nobody ever really. But the attitude that Moses had was on his face before God. And you know, that's right where we need to be. Worshiping Him, adoring Him, reverent to the great I Am. Because there's been too many times in my own life I've had that other way of thinking. You know what he's done? He's been gracious. He's been gracious, hasn't he? That's where I kind of want to finish up. God is. We aren't. The last point is God is what we can't be. God is for us what we can't be for ourselves. Look look here in the text just some things that he says. Uh, verse 7, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Look at the end of the verse. I know their sorrows. I am come down to deliver them, to bring them up out of that land into a good land. In verse 12, I will be with you. <laughs> verse 17, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Those are some amazing statements. The great I am says, listen, I've, I've, heard, I've heard the cry of my people. I know their troubles. I'm going to bring them out of that. He says, Moses, I want you to go. And Moses says, well, who am I? I? I can't do this. He says, don't worry. I'll go with you. And if anybody's got any doubt, tell them my name. I am. I am the great Lord God Almighty. Basically letting them know, this ain't a problem for me. I can do anything. And I will go with you and I will bring you up out of your troubles back to myself and to a good land. That is amazing to me. The one who is, the great I am, cares about me. He cares about you this morning. 
and your struggles. He sees that. You know that, right? Sometimes you think you might be going through things and nobody cares. Nobody's asked you how you were for several weeks or nobody's taken the time to call you or nobody really seems to get involved and nobody cares or they just think this about me or our minds can run a hundred different ways. I want you to know right now from what we just read, God sees and God knows your struggles. And He cares. He cares enough to help. Enough to bring you out of those, out of that land of bondage, out of that land of sin, back to Himself. He says that in verse 12, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token. When you have brought forth the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I love that phrase. I'm going to bring you back to my presence and you're going to be with me. Here's something he says in Isaiah. Now we just quoted something out of chapter 45. A verse later he says this. God says this. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from the ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? There is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. (coughs) God has come down to deliver us from sin. 2,000 years ago, God, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's exactly what we talked about this morning. Christ did for us what we can't do for ourselves. We get ourselves in trouble, right? We fail. We fall short. Christ did not. God came. God the Son came in the form of flesh. And we saw His glory. There's no mistake in who He is. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. We saw that in Christ. And we, we see His perfect life and all of His perfect actions. You see, He was what we cannot be. Perfect. You try to expect somebody else to be perfect, they're going to fail. You try to be perfect yourself and sinless yourself, you're going to fail. You and I, we sin. You understand that? I'm the pastor of a church. I've been saved for 30-something years. I still sin. I still need forgiveness. I haven't gotten this thing right yet. I still mess up because of a sin nature within me. We sin. We defy the I am. We scoff in His face. We break His commands. We are selfish. We are sinful. All of us. Nobody is exempt. Romans 3 says that. There's none good. There's none righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The problem is, now listen here, we think we can get away with it. We think we can go on sinning and just doing what we want as if it doesn't matter at all. That's a lie. There is judgment coming. A day when great Yahweh will no longer have mercy. Up to now, He's had mercy on us, right? There's a coming a day when that won't be the case. And all those who have rejected, all those who are still living in their own sin, will face the fires of His wrath forever in a very real place called hell. 
the lake of fire. That is not a fairy tale. That's part of real Christianity. You understand me? The message of sin, the message of eternal judgment in hell. But you need to know that God loves you. So much that He has given us the way that we can have our sins removed. We can have our sins forgiven. We can have our sins washed away. The Bible says, God says in the, in the book of Isaiah, though your sins be as scarlet, you can wash them white as wool. And that way is through Jesus. Jesus came here to give His perfect life in exchange for our sin. For your sinful life, for my sinful life, He gives His perfect life. He died on the cross and He shed His blood to cover our sins, to cleanse us from our sins, so that we might be saved. Saved from our sins, saved from hell, saved from the wrath of God by trusting Him. Listen, this morning, if you know that you are not right with God and you were to die at this moment and face the wrath of God for your sin, you can be saved. We can be saved if you would believe in Jesus. Jesus took your sin, my sin, and He bore the wrath of God meant for me. There's a place in the cross where He cries, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because at that moment, He was bearing the full and final weight of sin. My sins. Your sins. And He bore the wrath of God for me. So that He might take my sin, take my place, and give forgiveness of sins. Eternal life. Salvation. Jesus died for you to save you. Do you believe that this morning? Because that's all you need to do. You don't need to work it off. You don't need to to pay some money. You don't need to attend church so many times. It's belief. It's faith in Christ that saves us. Will you trust Him this morning to forgive you and save you? Because that's all that you need. To place your faith in Him today. Oh, I pray that you would if you have not. But God also says He's come down to deliver us from the world to take us out of Egypt to a promised land. He's going to lead us out of that sinful life. He's going to lead us out of the sins of this world that would beset us to His presence, to His blessings, and some things we're going to detail in the next few messages. In verse 12 it says this, Certainly I will be with you. I hope that you know that this morning. We've said it many times and we need to keep saying it many times so that we hear it. We're not alone here. You're not alone in those struggles you're going to face tomorrow. You're You're not alone in those temptations. In the dark of night when you think that nobody's listening and it's so hard and you're struggling so bad, you are not alone. God is with you. And not God like some magic word that just has no power, the great I Am is with you. The One who is, who stands outside of all of these things. He goes with us, caring for us, noticing our struggles, leading us to a promised land. You see, we as His people are on a journey 
to a promised land with Him leading. And it's a good land with blessings beyond comparing. And He walks with us each step of the way. I, don't, I really don't think we understand that. I, I don't think we understand it. I think we get so dull in this world and so distracted that we forget who it is with us. Whose presence we have within us. The great I am. Yahweh. It doesn't matter if you're on a mountain. It doesn't matter if you're in a valley. It doesn't matter if you're in a pit. He's there to bring you up, deliver you out, and take you to the promised land. Whatever, and I mean whatever we may face, He knows, He cares, and He guides. He said that. I know their sorrows. How amazing is that? That He would care. He knows your burdens. He knows your pains. And He comes to deliver by His power. Listen, some people think that prayer is like a magic word or His name is like some magic word, some, something meant to soothe our minds. No, there's power in it because we know who we are talking to. We know who we are asking to step in. And we know the power of the great I Am far surpasses anything else in this world. I know that culture does not dictate his, his existence nor His power. I don't care what anybody says what God can't do. I know who God is. I don't care what culture says. I don't care what this world says. I don't care what circumstances or trials or struggles say. I know who God is. And He is my God and my Father and yours too who watches over us and works in us who we see in Christ who is everything that we need when our souls are hungry He is the bread of life when our souls are parched He is the water of life He is the resurrection and the life the way that the truth and the life he is everything that we need. When I can't, I know that God can. Through Christ and through the Spirit. This has got to take hold. That God is real and understanding who He is. How else could Moses stand in front of Pharaoh, the ruler of the known world, and say, hey, you, let these people go. How else could Daniel and his three friends do the same to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, I know the death penalty. I know what you want. I'm not bowing. We will not bow. And God is able to deliver us, but if not, we die. We are not bowing. How else could they do that? How else could Nehemiah come to the broken down city and, and see rubble and say, we're going to rebuild this city of God? How else could Peter and James and Paul and all the apostles give their lives as they were taken from them. How could Esther say, if I die, I die? <laughs> because they knew who God is. And it was real to them. 
This isn't some Sunday morning thing. We say, oh, praise God, you are the great I am. We go out in the world. Oh, we just tuck our tail between our legs and we be quiet the rest of the week till we come to maybe a Wednesday night or a Sunday. No, 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 no. That's not the God we serve. Anything you're going to face at 7, 8, 9 a.m. tomorrow when you start work, God is greater than that. Any struggle, any person, any attitude, any self uh, induced problem or doubtings within ourselves, God is. He is the great I am. He is bigger than all of that. And you serve Him. He goes with you. That's, that's where we got to start. We want to have an impact on our families. We want to have an impact on this community. It starts with understanding who God is, that He is real, and His power. And His presence with us. Not just up here. In the very core of our being. We've all got temptations, don't we? We've all got our struggles. Maybe they're from the outside, or maybe they're from deep with inside. How different is it going to be when you come at those knowing, hey, no, 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 no. God is with me. God's going to give me victory over this. It's going to change things, isn't it? When we understand who God is, great things can happen because perspectives change and faith becomes rock solid. And I don't know if this has struck a chord in any of your own hearts, but here's what I want to say. We've got to wake up to this because this will make the difference. What we need to realize and have as real in our hearts is who God is, who we are as His people, and what He has done for us. You understand God is real. His purpose for you is real. His calling to you is real. His love for you is real. His power to work and transform your life is real right here and right now. The question is, do we live it? Do we live our life? What if we lived life with a knowledge of of who it is we serve? That He, the great I Am, is my God and my Father. When I bow and pray to the great I Am, I'm talking to Dad. What if we lived like that? When we say, what if we lived that when we say we're His people? Oh, we know what that means. We're His people. And when we say we pray for someone, oh, that person better watch out because I'm talking to the great I am. And I know what He can do. For too long we've lived as if this is some add-on. We've got to stop chasing other things. Stop chasing the things that you think are blessings and fall down before the great I Am and let Him take care of the rest. It's the first step to living as any kind of impact in the world. So let's start in our journey as living and acting like real Christians by serving and walking with the great I Am and it's going to make all the difference. Maybe we need to start there today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you have awakened some some things within our own spirits of your greatness, of your awesome power, of your awesome being, Lord. I ask that you would captivate us by that. Help our hearts to be just um, taken by your glory and your greatness. And that if there be anything that has come in the way of that or maybe some distractions, that you would remove that just now and draw us closer back to yourself, Lord. Even if there are some who are struggling, maybe those who don't 
know you as Savior, Lord, that you would show them their own sin and, and Christ who is the sacrifice for our sins, that they would place their faith in Him before it is eternally too late. Lord, maybe there's some who have just got bogged down by other things in the world and they, we can find ourselves in the place of Moses and the children of Israel wondering what's going on. Lord, let the words of Your name ring in our hearts. You are. You are what we need, Lord. I pray that You would draw by Your Spirit and do the work that only You can do. I thank You for all that You've done. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.